knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. What's up, dudes? My dudettes and duderinos. Uh, it's Dale Luganville with Full Scale Outdoors. On today's podcast, we have Captain Danny. We hired Captain Danny the first day, uh, our first full day here in the Isla Morada in the Keys. Kind of show us the waters, show us the bite, and couldn't get out where we wanted to get out to because it was just a little too sporty out there. So, But it was still good. He brought us in and showed us, you know, where and how to get bait and um, look for snook and big kubera snappers, which we did catch a snook, didn't find any kuberas. We probably hooked up a few times, but it, it's uh, there's a learning curve on uh, on how to get these very educated fish. These fish are highly pressured. There's people on the fishing from shore all the time. There's boats everywhere. Um, but Captain Danny kind of dialed us in. It took a little bit for us to get the hang of it, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, as we learned, a lot of this DIY stuff isn't uh, just isn't as easy as you think it is. Uh, but we started getting the hang of it as the week went on. Um, I'm sure we've got one, well... As I record this, we've got like half a day left uh, of the trip. And um, we have not caught our bucket list fish, was, which for me was a Goliath grouper, and my brother wanted to tarpon. Not that I didn't want to tarpon, but that was his big thing. And the thing I learned about that is if you don't actually target <laughs> your bucket list fish, it makes it uh, increasingly difficult to catch them. There's so many things to do out here that, you just get sidetracked. We wanted to run off shore when we had good weather and, and fish the reefs for yellowtail snapper. And, and we did that unsuccessfully one day. Then we did, we got some success the next day. Um, we did catch some yellowtail and uh, caught quite a variety of different different things. Um, I won't get into that on this intro here. I'll uh, get us into the podcast here in a little bit. Um, but if you'd like to know more information about what been going on and follow me on my adventures here if you haven't done so already i know i picked up quite a few um subscribers and listeners in the last couple of weeks um if you haven't done so find full scale outdoors on facebook and instagram uh, full scale underscore outdoors and follow me there i'm also on snapchat i'm trying to use that more uh get more involved in that i do have a, there's an outdoor outdoors page like a group page on facebook too that i want everybody to uh, uh request to join that one i think think it's open but i think you still have to request i don't know how any of that crap works anyways that's it's full scale outdoors group and I believe full scale is one word and um yeah so get in there and you can post your pictures and uh, get some conversation started and it doesn't have to be about the podcast but definitely can be about the podcast uh that's fine you can just go in there it's, it's for everybody so go in there and uh 
it's just another way to talk about stuff that we love. Let's see. Um, yeah, that's it. So if you do all that, you'll get all the updates of what I'm doing, when I'm doing, what, where, and the other thing. Because I don't always post everything I put on, like, Snapchat and Instagram. doesn't necessarily go to my Facebook page because um, I try to keep the Facebook page more for booking uh, guided trips and stuff like that. So also glad I brought it up. Coming into the summer season here, the spring season, uh, if anybody's looking to get into some Minnesota fishing, uh, give me a call. We'll book you a trip, and uh, we'll get you out on the boat and uh, catch uh, whatever the heck you want to catch. Bass, muskie, walleye, pike, panfish, you know, whatever. We'll have a good time. We'll, so find me on Facebook and do all that stuff. So, all right, let's get to it. On today's podcast, here is Captain Danny on the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. are down here and this technically isn't Isla Morada where we're at right now is it this is uh still the village Isla Morada so oh, you, you get to the next bridge there's a sign that says catch you later <laughs> okay well what is on the map then it's this was that this is lower mat it's lower, lower mat of Cumbie lower mat of Cumbie the, the Isla Morada the village Isla Morada is four or five islands four islands okay I see there's things I don't know it just says it on the map I thought it was a different town so we are in Isla Morada and we are recording with Captain Danny Lombardo, who we went fishing with today. We had a pretty good time. We didn't, weather-wise, again, that's just, if anybody books with us, there's going to be weather issues. That's just what happens. My brother Dan is sitting in with us as well today. His first podcast ever, breaking two podcast cherries today. We are uh, excellent at bringing wind with us. Yep, we're, we're good at that. We're blowhards. Yeah, we've tried to uh, fish for yellowfin out of Venice twice, twice. and got blown out twice. twice. So that's still on the bucket list. Despite and now you get shoreline fishing in yeah. Amarada. And so right, today, right. today we wore out a bunch of jigs off a bunch of rocks chasing uh, some snook and some snappers. Pro tip, if you're coming to Isla Morada, stock up on quarter ounce white jigs. You're going to need a bunch. A bunch. Well, not if, not if you're good at what you <laughs> well, do. Well... Um, <laughs> So, if, like I said, if you're not from here and you're coming here, get a bunch. If you don't That's fish for musky. Yeah, right. Oh, he's going after the musky fisherman. See how this podcast is going to go. <laughs> right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. So, let's say, let's just play the what if. So, if we're, if the weather was nice, and by weather being nice, what would we have needed weather-wise to get out somewhere farther? A little bit for, uh, I mean, just less, a little less wind out of a different direction. Yeah. And it would have been uh, a little more pleasant. You know, with this wind out of the east or north, or today it switched from the northeast all the way around to the southeast. And uh, when you have anything east in the wind, you the current on the edge of the reef or offshore is primarily northeast because that's the direction of the Gulf Stream. So when the current goes into the wind, it tends to be a little more rough. And 10 to 15 knots out of one direction as opposed to another is going to be. That makes sense. So if, if 
you visualize the Gulf Stream as it hooks around the horn yes. of Florida. It starts going back north. Right here, because the Keys run right where we're sitting or is where they start to run east and west. And right, which kind of trips me out because even as we were fishing, I'd see the road. And my mind's thinking, that, go, that road takes you north eventually. But <laughs> right here, no, it takes you east. So yeah, it's, it's like east to west. So if you have an east wind and right here and the Gulf Stream tends to get very close to land here, then you have the current into the wind, which creates yeah, a lot of rip. Which was that, that tailing condition that we were talking about this morning about possibly going to look for sailfish. Right. Which didn't happen because somebody apparently decided they wanted the fish today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, w- which would also be right in line with what normally happens yes, for us. Yes, well, we, we have a golden opportunity that we're unable to take advantage well, of. Missed it by, <laughs> missed it the commercial? by that much. You almost had it that time. Got to be quicker than that. <laughs> should have been should have been here yesterday, oh, and it's going to be much better tomorrow. We've been course. chasing bites our whole life. That's the story of our fishing career, as it were. So you mentioned earlier on the boat, you said you're a third generation. Yes, sir. Professional fisherman. Right here in... Right, right in Isla Mirada. Bud and Mary's Marina for the most part. That's pretty cool. So how did, so growing up, uh, what's it like growing up here on the island? With just uh, new people coming in all the time. Well, when I was younger, it wasn't... It seems like a lot more people nowadays are coming to the Keys on vacation, especially in the past couple of years, even though we had Hurricane Irma, which decimated a lot of a lot of uh islands up and down from key west to all the way up to key largo up to the mainland but uh the panhandle and the carolinas have taken it a lot worse from the storms i don't think there's as many people vacationing there and we're getting the overflow of that also people are kind of changing yeah, plans yeah. well i mean we have a very tough building code here though most of these buildings aren't gonna go anywhere during us it's gonna take a category five storm to to level a house here our biggest well, problem is flooding that's good and uh <laughs> that's that's nice comfort if you're going to yeah. buy a house down here you know in the the carolinas there's not as much of or north florida the carolinas and you know the panhandle texas all that's all those beach towns there they they don't have as much of a code there are a lot of stick you know frame and plank houses and yep you're actually but, not wrong about that just as you say it driving around carolinas i've that is exactly what you see. Yeah, well, and in the Panhandle too, you have you'll still see some of the old slab houses, which are almost completely gone now out of the Keys. Everything's on a built up on a stilt because yep. of the flooding issue, and they, they don't have that. I think really what draws people down here is the Keys are just to me very unique, in that the you've got the palm trees, you've got the um, Gulf on one side, the Atlantic on the other. You feel as if you're in on a Caribbean island. But everybody speaks English. You can still use U.S. dollars, and you don't need a passport. <laughs> That's um, right. And it's and a it's a very different field than even Savannah or you know if if you go farther up into the Carolinas, the Outer Banks. Great fisheries, completely different field. You can there's such a variety here. You can catch probably 50 or 60 different species of fish in one day if you you really. And I think Field and Stream years ago did an article where they came down here for a weekend and wanted to see how many different species of fish they could catch. I think it was three or four days, and they caught over 100, 100 and something. I don't that's remember like the exact nice, number. That's like, that sounds fun. <laughs> as as I was getting dirty looks from my brother when we were just that last spot, and I just started putting shrimp on and catching the smaller. Oh, you mean you were just snapper. feeding the fish? No, I was catching them, and it was fun. <laughs> Didn't matter. They don't have to be huge. I'm not like Trenton where they have to be 500 pounds, or they're not worth my time. Trust me, if we – if 
if he hadn't caught, did he actually bring a fish into the boat today? He caught a couple snapper. Nothing I think was. he put one in the he fish. He struggled. <clears throat> he struggled today a little bit. And we that? we lit him up real like <laughs> we had a very sh- short bite window where it was like bing bang boom and then. What I thought was interesting about that was not only was it a short window of time, which makes sense to me, they get so pressured, but it was also a very short stretch of shoreline. Every one of those fish came within a yeah, they're on seventy-five same rock pile of where of, you catch also where you catch a lot of snappers, you're not going to catch a lot of snook. Yeah, I mean unless it's a, a larger mangrove snapper, a larger kubera snapper that's li- living on that shoreline. If you notice where those snappers were, that's all you were getting was snapper bites. It, it, you could you finally started to pick up on the difference of yeah. the bites. And, um, yeah, that's the smaller snappers aren't going to swim around in front of a snook that can eat them. That's true. Makes Good sense. point. Yeah, that makes a lot of, that makes a lot of sense. Well, even that last spot when that barracuda showed up, yeah. those little ones that I had been yeah, catching every cast suddenly disappeared. Not And the, the yellowtail snappers on the edge of the reef will do the same thing. A shark or a barracuda shows up and they shut down. Yeah, well, it makes sense. <laughs> Run away, run away. You don't want that. But it's got to be. So like you said, the, this uh, Airbnb that we're staying here, like, they look, the houses look the same. They smell the same. They've all, I mean. <laughs> such a different existence growing up on the Keys, especially in a fishing, as a fishing guide. Like, and your dad was a guide, right? And yes. then I assume yeah, your grandpa was a guide. My grandfather was a guide and all at Bud and Mary's. That's crazy. Do they do the same thing you're doing? A little bit uh, of in, a little bit of off? No. Uh, well, it was actually my, uh. My grandfather was a was a backcountry guide, and, and my stepfather growing growing up, he was an offshore guy. Um, it's uh, I do a little bit. I'm a little bit different than anybody down here. I do a little bit of both, and I travel. I've been all over the world targeting blue marlin, bluefin tuna, sailfish, you know, white marlin, uh, from Bermuda all the way down to St. Martin through the Panama Canal down to Costa Rica. And, I'll take someone on their own boat or, you know, I, I have a couple different things worked out with, uh, I have a boat that I lease in Costa Rica. I have a couple of boats that I lease here to go offshore in. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of stuff on other people's boats and just really the inshore thing on mine, which I don't, I only do about 75 days a year on my skiff and that's for tarpon and, and snook. And that's what we were looking at today, a lot of snook. Um, we didn't really target the tarpon yet. It's a little early, although we may go out yet tonight and see what we can do. May. What else have we got to do? <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's really a, a broad range of skills. So fishing offshore, for those who are maybe just getting into saltwater fishing, fishing offshore and fishing inshore are completely different um, approaches, different tackle, different techniques, different knots, different well, that's that's Everything. one thing we learn down down here in, in the Keys. Growing up, it's there's such a variety of different fish here and a variety of different fish. And you, you just fishing down here in general, not even professionally. If you grow up down here and you fish down here, you learn more as say you would in the Carolinas or North Florida or even even Miami. Um, there's you got the Gulf mixing with the Atlantic Ocean right here. You got the bridges. You got tons of different types of fishing and you are day-to-day chartering when i was working as a mate as a kid if something didn't work we tried something different and normally you go on a charter anywhere north of miami for the most part you're fishing for one thing and one thing only and if they don't bite then what would that be what's what keeps them busy Um, up there i mean it's mostly sailfish yeah Yeah. i mean when we went for lauderdale sales yeah sales sales and 
sails and kings, and you're getting an uh, occasional hunting accident of a dolphin or a tuna. Or <laughs> hunting accident. <laughs> but uh, Well, you can catch, if you go out far enough in uh, off Hilton Head in South Carolina, you can get dolphin yeah. up there in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. In the summer. Like Wahoo are there now, sail, dolphin are coming. You'll even get some uh, blackfin tuna will come through there. And tarpon even. Um, tarpon, Allegedly. Tarpon come up in June. I've I've seen them. They have so far eluded my grasp. Have you caught a uh, cobia up there yet? I have. Like actually fit in the boat, landed? We chose not to land it oh. um, because it was right before they sh- – there was the season before they actually shut it down. It was a big female, and oh. I, I Aww, first thing so I nice did – the first thing I told Trent to grab was the was the gaff, and then I changed my mind. And, and then while he was messing around trying to get the net, and I was holding her at the boat, then the the leader finally just frayed. So through no and, pictures. Um, no, we have a video oh, of it actually coming coming across. Um, it was a that was a good fish. That was a really good fish. How big do you think it was? Um, uh, that's a good question. If I had to guess, from where she was on the side of the boat. Um, that's, 45, 46, somewhere in there. Pounds or inches? Inches. Length. You lost one two, day, yeah, two days ago. I was probably around 60 pounds, about 30 feet from the boat. Nice. Well, that, we might have to explore that this week. That if was you, if, uh, you said, if the weather's right and we yeah. can run on the, we showed us on the map there and we can hit those different mile markers and see if anybody's living around there. This will be a, a, a topic for yet another podcast, but. Um, where we fish out of Hilton Head has a Port Royal sign, which is a very unique fishery. It has a sort of a resident population that comes in and spawns at the same place every year. Um, and they've had to shut it down because it just got overfished. It just got pounded. Same thing I, I heard up towards uh, like Hatter- Hatteras and Virginia area. They've been doing the same thing with the cobia, shutting them down. Yep. They just they just get – that's I mean, a cobia, it will eat. If, if the cobia is there, it doesn't take a lot to get them to eat usually. They're not very smart. <laughs> just, they, they get big because they eat a lot. Um, this is why we have kids for them. They bring you beer and open them for you. <laughs> bring me the damn beer. I choke you out. The um, so in on the on the either side of the uh, of the island here, I'll talk a little bit of it just about as you're going on the inshore side. Um, we looked on the map just before we started this podcast, and you were showing us sort of a channel back into the Everglades. Now, is all of that considered Florida Bay? When does that? Florida Bay is stretches, if you probably went due north from where we stand right now, uh, that's the, the border of Florida Bay. You're about as far west as, as the bay goes. It's considered, you know, the bite of the Keys, where, you know, once it gets past, you know, where the mainland butts up what would be even with the keys that's considered the gulf of mexico okay and then what changes once you get into the gulf starts to drop off Uh, it gets a little it takes a good ways to get deep i mean really deep in the gulf it's about 100 miles to 100 feet of water wow on that side unless you go down off of key west i think it's uh i'm not as familiar with the key west area but it drops off a little bit faster down there um that would make sense. How does that change how you target and what you target? Uh, down off of Key West or the well, Gulf? Well, here. So as you're going out into Florida Bay, um, what's the deepest it's going to get is? I mean, the deepest, we would if we would have went out there today, if we had the right weather, uh, Florida Bay and the, you know, the closer Gulf of Mexico, 
deepest we probably would have saw was about 40 feet and that's not about 30 feet and there's a couple spots where i have some there's a, a spring hole that we fish out there and it drops off to 120 feet it's about 100 yards wide but um Good luck, just, good luck finding that, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Do they just stack up in there? <laughs> uh, that's when it gets cold. There's a lot of cobias there. Nice. A lot of cobias there. Danny knows that spot. And if you'd like to take him, uh, <laughs> for him to show you where that is, look him up on Instagram. <laughs> Forget it, Dal. 1 800 ain't going to happen. <laughs> we were um, secret spot. So everybody knows today, um, we went out in my boat, which is a Sea Hunt 22 BX BR, and Danny was kind enough to guide us on our boat. Yeah, that was kind of our plan to come down here. Um, we've talked about it for quite a while, like trailering the boat down from South Carolina and then doing exactly what we're doing, spending a week down here, you know, pretty much DIYing it. But to shorten that learning curve, that's why we hired Danny. And I, and I will tell you, what we did today helped a lot. It did two things for me personally. One, just finding the, the bait this morning gave me an idea of what I'm looking for structure-wise, shoreline-wise, bottom-wise. So I have a much better idea of what to look, f where to look for bait um, the rest of the week. Even how to catch the fish. It, like, as it will Danny, change, though, as, as the weather changes. There's different conditions for different. Uh, as always. But like so. you explained earlier about how, yeah, a lot of people fish here. There's a lot of shore fishermen because, you know, yeah. it's right there. And we were fishing right next to a few i wouldn't say a lot but a few shore fishermen and i didn't see a single shore fisherman catch a thing today it's all not that we hammered them but we did catch fish there's a lot of pressure on those fish and you you i spent a lot of time figuring out how to trick one or two of them for rough days so get good at cast cast they're throwing a cast net and get a lot of pilchards which are uh bait fish down here for those that have never heard that word if you're used to drilling holes in the ice on Mille Lacs, you're not going to know what a pilcher is <laughs> or what a casting is. a shiner. <laughs> you'll, yeah, more of a shad. You will also not be used to worrying that the 500 pilchards you took with you are not going to be enough for the day. Right. Well, yeah, because you're throwing the call the freebies. You're throwing them out to kind of fire them up, get them in the eating mode. See, maybe even it, just to get them. I could it, be wrong. I'm guessing here, like, just to show themselves, like, is you, there a you, snook here? You, is caught, there? You, you caught that snook as I was throwing freebies. Yeah, right. Um, and that was, we had a little mishap with the trolling motor if, and you know, we, if we could have stayed in one spot and thrown some freebies and I mean, we might've had a little more, a little more action right when we had the trolling motor working properly for the first 20 minutes or so, the tide hadn't really started moving. Yeah, that's it, true too. Oh, uh, and then we got it to work for what, maybe two minutes and you, <laughs> ca you caught a snook. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, you know, weather follows us around uh, equipment failures are, are uh, historically a common thread in the Luganville lineage. There's so if there is any manufacturers out there, whether it's, you know, fishing equipment, tackle, boating tools, if you really want to test, like you get deep into your R&D, you need to hire a Luganville. Because yeah, if us. someone's, if you want to find out when and where and how the thing that you're building is going to fail, I promise you we will find it. I'm I'm pretty convinced it's just a broken wire because it was it's either no power or full power. So there's a there's a loose wire somewhere and we'll we'll trace that out tonight and hopefully we'll have it for the rest of the yeah, week. Yeah, we're going to we are going to need that too. But the thing's not even a year old for God's sake. 
No, it definitely. I mean, I I had fun today, but it wasn't what I had expected. I thought we were going to be going out somewhere, even not necessarily like big water, just like we're right here. We're fishing in our neighborhood. Actually, that was another question I had. So you looked at the wind, the wind this morning, and you were you knew right away that going back into Florida Bay, going north out of here into that into those into waters. Glades was going to be an extremely rough ride. Well, I mean, we could have went into the Everglades and, and stayed in the back bay and probably caught a few a few snook and it it all I haven't been back there in a while, but um generally when we when it's rough like this and you go back there you're fishing some closer bays and you're catching jacks and sea trout and I mean you guys can do that at home, so Well it's much on the jacks. I mean you get some we, jacks but jacks. in my experience in hilton head i haven't caught a jack in hilton head we have never really fished for them either. we just haven't targeted them they're yeah. there yeah. there's we, plenty we could have there. we could have caught jackson and sea trout until you guys arms fall up well, I, I mean feel free to point <laughs> but, out some spots for jacks i mean the sea trout don't really excite me very much because they're basically a saltwater walleye and they're as boring as a freshwater walleye so i don't they don't really fire me up but jacks on the other hand no, those are fun. Well, the real big ones will get around the bridges with those mullet that you saw today. Yeah. And those mullet are huge. I still can't get over how big they are. Well, it takes we catch those finger melts when you know, we're in Hilton Head. Right now in our live well, there's a two-and-a-half-pound mullet. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Flay those things they, up. They, they eat them, them in North Florida. I believe it. They eat Cuda. I've seen them in grocery stores in South Carolina. Smoked mullet. This is pretty good. We're drinking the local fare here, Isla Morada Beer Company. I will give them a shout-out. This is Isla yeah. Morada Sandbar Sunday, um, and it's it's a very easy drinking. It's really taste, good. Tastes good. Just, uh, Actually, a friend of mine from high school owns that. So. Is that right? I, I'm starting to pick up. Like, you know the person that is <laughs> literally across the canal from us. <laughs> very small town. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was getting to early in the beginning where I'm like, so growing up here, and it's all visitors for the most part, but – how, like the residents, it's got to be a small town. I mean, there's no land here. There's just I'm like I can't I'll, go to the I, I don't go to the grocery store if I'm not feeling social because I can't go to the grocery <laughs> store. I can't go buy tackle if I if I don't want to talk to somebody. Right. Yeah. It takes me twice as long as it would take the average person to go to the grocery store because you run into about ten people that you know every right. time. I'll ask you the exact same question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Where are the fish biting today? Yeah. How's I, fishing been? I did notice today that there were a lot of landmarks that Danny uses as he's going by. You know, this blue tiled house, that house. They were all somehow tied to a girl you dated. <laughs> <laughs> no, just just the blue house. Just yeah, sure, just the blue house. No, I use the flag as a landmark. The That's true. Nothing, nothing untoward happened at that flagpole. No. That we should know about. No, nothing at the flag. Nothing, <laughs> nothing where we bought bait this morning. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's uh, something memorable that's happened in my lifetime on every stretch of this island. Right. We also but, said he uses landmarks because he just doesn't like technology. So yeah, for the most part, just go GPS. He's old school. I don't. I don't. Old school triangulation. Well, I uh, I learned without a GPS, and as most, did we. Most uh, most kids nowadays will never learn the way I did and guess what when their GPS fails they're not going fishing listen my son had no idea what direction his school was from our house <laughs> even though we go there well obviously he goes there five days out of the week but three of those days literally is in a vehicle with one of the parents 
going past the 35 South sign to said school. <laughs> Still doesn't know. Uh, well, and, and, his, and his excuse? I'll just use Google Maps. This is why. This is the how. See, I was about to go down a wormhole. Now I'm not going to because it irritates my brother. I'm just going to leave it. We'll just move on. Just move on. It's the end of the world as we know it. This is how it happens. This is how civilizations get forgot. (laughs) Use the technology. Something happens, and nobody knows how to survive, and you're fucked. I do want to dovetail into that a little bit. The the idea of technology, the, the the Garmin, you know, the Garmin's that we have now. Offshore, you have to have that. I mean, I mean, it's I critical. don't. I, I still go all my reef spots, or most of them. I can still go off a of land range, um, and now it's it's actually made it harder to fish here in the Keys, um, as far as a charter boat is concerned. You know, anybody with uh, yeah, anybody with some money can with find a little a spot. bit. I mean, and now now it doesn't even take much. You know, forty, fifty thousand dollars, you can buy a boat that can get out to the reef or, you know, get most of the places down here. And it has a chart plotter, a uh, bottom machine. And it's very, you know, it was uh, much, you know, higher end than we had when we learned how to do all this stuff. And I don't, uh, I don't necessarily need all of it. It is nice. You look at, Oh, this is nice. But just me. I use that live scope this winter when <clears throat> we're ice fishing and you can see, the schools of crappies underneath the ice and you're like wow literally tell your partner like go over there 40 yards drill a hole and you see the hole being drilled in the ice that's great dropping down you see a single fish come up out of the school oh he's on like wow okay all right this is a video game now and i like the video game so i can't even really talk Mm. shit about it because like i get it i get why it's so attractive but why wouldn't it be i mean but then if you talk like going into guiding I mean, how do you not have one? I a mean, lo- a I lot guess. of stuff has changed too. I mean, with the uh, it's not even the technology. It's we used to be the only, or a lot of the the charter big charter boats were the only ones offshore in the summertime targeting the big mahi and and trolling around doing that type of stuff. And now, and we always had an advantage because we had towers and we could sight fish and we'd troll and we we'd find birds and we'd literally point the fish out. Yeah, and uh, your mate would cast a bait at the fish, hit him on the head, and you'd catch him. And it was very effective. But nowadays you have 60-mile-an-hour center consoles with a little bit of a smaller <laughs> tower. So yeah. they see the bird, and they got a radar. So you don't have to learn how to find the birds with your eyes. Oh, wow. Never so thought that, about that. And, I mean, you can, I could you use, use a radar to, just to find the birds. It has to be calm for it to work. Sure. But most of the days that are calm are when you have a large amount of center consoles offshore. And same thing with the sailfish. The sailfish used to chase valley hues up, or they still do. They chase the valley hues, and we call that a shower. And uh, you'll see hundreds of valley hues start jumping. You run over there, and we had an advantage again because we had a, a tuna tower on the charter boat. And now we're at a disadvantage because the charter boat only does 30 miles an hour with big diesel motors, and you have a triple or quad motor center console doing 60 miles an hour trying to race you to it. Yeah, trying to beat you. Wow. And Nine out of ten times, they have no idea what they're doing, and they just mess it up for everybody. Sure. They'll see the fish. They're not going to – they just run up. They, you run in there that fast, they, they don't like it. I suppose not. I mean – Even you run in there at 30 knots, they don't like it. Well, but, I mean, we were trying to be pretty stealthful yeah. today. I mean, we're fishing. I mean, we're just offshore. I mean, basically, we're bass fishing by – I mean, to, to make it familiar to people that haven't done this 
the saltwater thing, like we were within flipping distance of most spots. Definitely like regular lure casting distance. We weren't even having to bomb our baits. I mean, these were just, you know, accurate casts where you would point out, like, see those rocks there, try to get right next to those rocks, and then, you know. It would be this, the same thing back if we were snook fishing up in the Everglades. It would be that man, that the edge of those mangroves there or that that piling or yeah i have seen i have seen quite a few of those videos where you know you get back there and it's you can almost see if them there's, well sometimes no, you can see them just sitting in the shade up yeah. underneath those mangroves yeah if there's no that. current and you see them or or you're in a, a real shallow spot uh an artificial bait or just a, a even smaller than a quarter you know a quarter ounce or smaller jig head with a shrimp tipped with a shrimp um up under the trees and reeling it out real slow and the snook are going to eat those? those the the snook? snook and the redfish will eat those. Or well, just a pilchard, a pilchard with, a, with a hook. You know, just a pilchard with a straight hook cast it up under under those trees. They'll eat that. But where there's current, you got to have a little bit of weight. So, you know, sure. quarter ounce, half ounce jig head if you're fishing in the canals where there's a, a swift current. And that current. changes with the tide. Yes. And the wind. That, that was another interesting thing to me when we went through those canals as the tide was, was changing. Um, even though you don't have big current or, or big tide swings as far as depth, once all that water gets moving, Still that moving. current is, it pushes, and it pushes. You could not swim against it through the bridge. No. No way. No way, no. It's still not as strong as it is in Hilton Head, which is quite a bit more. Well, you have, you have more tide there. You right, I mean, it's a higher tide. tide, yeah. Which still, I'm still fascinated by tide. For as many times as I've seen it now, and you don't notice it as much here because they are, you know, it's a foot, two feet, or whatever it is. You're not really seeing a big change. But, like, in Hilton Head, you're like, if you get out there at high tide, it looks like just a giant body of water. And all of a sudden, you look around, and there's all these islands that weren't there before. And all of a sudden, they're sticking four feet out of the water. You're like, what is going on? And then it just turns around and fills it back up again. It's like, Where I it got just it. trips me out. I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to get used to it. Where I got in Alaska, there was 18 feet of tide. Yeah, Alaska has huge Crazy. tides. There's nowhere for the water to go. There's no marshes up there. You no. got mountains. So it just it can only go up. And that's, you know, here, just to, for people that aren't familiar with tides, just explain it a little bit. You have the ever, well, the entire state of Florida is one big swamp. It's just a flat swamp that's two inches above sea level. So that when all this water goes up, it's able to spread out over a, a huge area. So this the same pull from the moon the same lunar attraction is happening it's causing the tides moving the same amount of water it just has a lot well the bigger the area further north to you go out. the more tide you have as well that's right because it's a little higher yep. so it's pushed sure up that makes sense and closer so Actually, maine has has extreme tides yep 12 15 feet of, of yep. tide as well and, this, and all the way on the same the west uh northwest yeah. too the same washington oregon have really big tides you, you touched on the on the water issue. It, it triggered in my head the um, we've been paying attention even in, in South Carolina to to the water issues that Florida has been having, um, and wondering if you know does that affect our migratory species um, and the water quality I, problems that you've had down here. I've seen it locally, and it's been over a, a, a long period of time, and it's just it's stuff that I've noticed. I don't think the migratory, unless it's some sort of the Florida Bay is an estuary where all of our snappers and groupers and all that stuff grow up. I think um, it will affect some of that stuff a little bit, but it's been this problem with the Everglades that we're having in the sugar farms and, and all that. Everyone's known about it forever, or, or the, the people in charge have known about it for 30, 
they saw it happening and right in front of them, and they, they didn't chose to do nothing about it. And they're using Rick Scott as the scapegoat for for this well, whole issue. I mean, the new governor seems to be making some changes. Yeah, Mr. DeSantis seems uh, well. He has to. He's, yeah. He'll never see a second term. Right. Um, Florida, Florida has a you know ninety percent of their income is tourism. So. Um, well, and you think they would have picked up on that a little earlier? Well, but well, they, what everyone wants to blame it on sugar and Rick Scott. But what they don't see is highways and Disney World blocking the sheet flow of, of the Kissimmee sure. River plane and going into uh, the Everglades. It's the problem's a lot bigger than just phosphates from fertilizer. I don't care what problem it is; it's always yeah, bigger yeah, than what the headlines yeah. tell you. It's never as easy. You can never boil it down as easy as not people to, would like it to be boiled to down to. Piggyback on some other groups, and, and Tom Rowan and his podcast have talked about it at length. He's had the folks on from Captains for Clean Water yes. two or three times. I. I want to talk about just a little bit about how much um, you've seen the local guys get behind that movement. Is it truly a guides first on yes. the on the guys who are on the water 300 days a year are saying, "Look, dummies, we're here every day. We can tell you there is what's definitely, wrong." There is definitely problems, and there is there is a lot of guides standing behind it, and but there's also a lot of organizations out there that aren't what they say they are, um, and it's I was. I, I was living in West Palm Beach for, you know, up until a year and a half ago and running a uh, private yacht for a gentleman. So I was uh, away from home. And when I saw it, I could see the seagrass beds have deteriorated and, you know, be just being gone and only home for a short stint of time every once in a while. Um, you could see the seagrass beds have deteriorated. And there has been uh, the spots I took you to today, they're, you know, historically, there's been have been really good for for snook and redfish. Redfish, it's been long time since there's been a, abundance of them around here, and that has to do with the water quality of Florida Bay. Florida Bay, one of the biggest issues is not the fertilizers; it's the blockage of the sheet flow and them pumping all that fertilized water out uh, the St. Lucie Inlet and the um, Caloosahatchee River. So we're not getting the amount of fresh water we're supposed to is what's killing the seagrass in the Florida Bay. It's Just not, not enough it, yeah, water. And so, and what is the reaction? Like, like that's only one element. Salty, yeah. Okay, so the, the seagrass isn't getting there. And so if, if you're not getting good redfish hatches, I'm guessing that that then leads – it's a forage issue. Is there not as much crab? Is there not an, as much – It's a little bit of everything. You know, everything spawns – a lot of fish spawn in that grass. They lay their eggs in that grass. Bait lives in that grass. Um so I bring that up because, and you're probably not familiar with this, uh, but Malax has been a huge controversial topic back in Minnesota in the way the walleyes have been managed and the, and the overall health of that lake. And now we have invasive species in there like uh, zebra mussels and there's spiny water fleas. And like you said, there's never any one. It's a bigger issue yeah. than any headline ever talks about. And my gut instinct with Malax is that I don't think we're looking in the right spot. Like all they're talking about is like the walleye numbers and how many pounds the anglers can take a year. I mean, they've basically shut it down. We can take one fish in the month of May and that's it. That's just the state fish of Minnesota. These things are everywhere, but for some reason they've, they've screwed up that lake. And I, I don't know if it's too many cooks in the kitchen or what's going on, but I feel like I don't, I don't feel like we're looking in the right well, two things. I don't think we're looking in the right direction, and we're definitely not listening to the right people. When it comes to game and fish laws, politicians need to keep their 
hands out of that pot. That needs to, that needs to come from real life marine biologists, fisheries biologists. Well, it's not and even stick to science. But they're they're taking a, a marine biologist that sits in an office all day and looks at at data. Um, a lot of our regulations here, I can see. They they. I mean, they're looking at the scientific data. They're not out there collecting it. So um, a lot of those numbers are not accurate because you, like I explained with, you know, the halibut permits in Alaska and what they're trying to do, or I assume they're trying to do at the park is a lot of people aren't giving accurate information. They're collecting this data from charter boat captains that think they're trying to take their fishery away from them. So So we talked about that on the boat a little bit. So nobody listening to this have a clue what we're talking about. And I actually want to bring that up because it was very, I'd never heard that before. This is very fascinating. So go ahead and dive into that. You worked in Alaska a little bit and how they kind of worked with the permits and people didn't want to talk about it, blah, 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 blah. But I'll let you describe it. Well, it's basically they gave you a log book and you're supposed to fill out what you caught every day. And the people that didn't fill out their log books didn't get halibut permits. The halibut permits were issued for free <laughs> if you filled out your log book. Well, well the people didn't want to do it because they thought the government was, you know, big big brother was watching. So like, well, I ain't going to do that. And they didn't. They and thought so the oh, next year where they're fishing. And, right. So now they now they weren't getting the information. So yep. the government was like, all right, in the chess game, they're like, we'll move this pond over here. Now you're not getting a license if you don't fill out your log book. And like, son of a bitch, now I got to fill out a log book. <laughs> if you want a permit, even though they're free. Well, I mean, then they put the moratorium on the permits and now you can't, the guides who could have got one for free have to pay upwards of fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 for their permit. Man. So there's always some money. There's always, there's always somebody with their hand out on these but kind of things. The data is sure. not always accurate because you got, that where the, you got to look where they're collecting it from and, and the people that are reviewing it. Um, I've seen some of the some of the people making these laws or some of the people in charge of it not even know the difference between two, two types of snapper. Oh, I don't believe that for a minute, and that's why I said, like, the people making the laws, I think they need to defer to yeah. actual fisheries yeah. experts. And even, and even, you know, whether you have to make a panel of some sort that it is half scientists, half professional fishermen if you will like or, or you know well i mean the, the, outfitters that have you know they're like you said you're on the you're on the water to be a, days a year it needs to be a, a a balance of everybody because the commercial fishermen are going to look out for the commercial fishermen and oh, the commercial fishermen only and, and the the charter guys are going to you need to have a happy medium i mean they've overregulated in my opinion they've overregulated sharks in south florida and we have a problem and there's too many sharks. Oh, they're God, eating all of our of, all sorts of controversial stuff. We get they're to talk trying about to today. try. They're, they're eating all of our snappers and groupers on the edge of the reef. Um, we don't see the stingrays that we used to. I think the sharks are eating the stingrays. Well, we used sense. to that we used to sense. find stingrays out inside the reef where there's an abundance of bull sharks now. Well, and even I've heard yeah. even they're they've been thrown around the idea of of opening up the Goliath season again too. Because once they shut something down. Especially in Florida, it's very it hard to reopen. They'll never open You don't it. think so? You don't think they're going to do even they, like a tag system? I can keep one? They should. I, in my opinion, I think they should. I think they're overpopulated. But. I, I would tend to agree, and I'm not even from here. I just think you take any kind of ecosystem and you really kind of pick and choose which ones are managed and which ones are not, you're going to get out of balance. Well, at the end of the day, if the politicians had their way – there would be no fishing in the Florida Keys. It would be a giant marine sanctuary. and Nobody you, would come here. 
Except for divers. And the divers are more of a problem than the fishermen because you have people with sunscreen going down there yep. putting their nasty hands all over the coral, it, yeah. and the coral doesn't like that. So No, it definitely does Our not. reefs are not doing what they should be, and, um, of course, when you dump hundreds and hundreds of people in the water a day on the same spot, and they go down there and they touch everything, and they say, oh, well, they have dive masters down there supervising them. They have one dive master for 20 people on one yeah. boat. You know, Somebody's touching something. And even if you go to like, oh, there's more, uh, more environmentally safe sunscreens per se. But not not everybody. Are you checking everybody's bags? I mean, you the sunscreen. That, that's I don't think that's a huge problem. It, having that sunscreen on you and then touching the coral is a big problem. Sure. If, you, if you just keep your hands off of it. it well, I mean, I've heard even it can be a problem because it's an oil base that usually flows to the surface. Now this, it's intended to block UV rays. Now if this forms a film over the top of a reef how much uv rays are getting we have enough down current to that i suppose you got yeah. current and wind and everything that's, else that's gonna be somebody else's problem in about well two but hours. it's <laughs> it's gonna be it's still a problem i mean the point i'm trying to make is that it's not just because you're not harvesting anything fish wise you're it, not exactly. not doing damage to the environment and how much are they putting back into it do you have to buy a snorkeling license i don't think that you do you know, no, it's, it's, it's been basically up to the sportsmen over the years to pretty much foot the bill on any environmentalist, any environmental guys, uh, guys like Danny are always going to be the canary in the coal mine because of how many days you spend on the water. You are going to see the trends first. Yeah, you're going to you're see You're going it. to, and it's going to, your whole livelihood, to be good at what you do, you have to notice the intricate details of how that biosphere how that ecosystem is reacting. The parallel I wanted to make with here and Malax was the second point was what I noticed personally just from fishing in the lake and being around is the jumbo perch disappeared almost overnight and so did the eel pout. But nobody talks about that. It's all about the walleye this, the walleye that, oh, we'll just stock more walleyes. I feel like the eel pout and maybe the perch are like the canary in the coal mine. Like, Maybe we're not looking in the right spot. Let's figure out what happened to the yield pout. We might get to the core problem of the entire ecosystem of this lake, which is like you were saying here, you're not seeing the stingrays anymore. Do we have too many sharks? You know, and they're not, they're not, I see it as almost like big game management. You know, they, California, they banned lion hunting, but they still kill the same amount of lions. They just pay somebody to go kill them. You can't use any of the animal. They have to bury them in a hole, which makes zero sense why you don't have hunters putting money back into the environment. Well, You're still doing it. Also, so, like, it, if the sharks are overpopulated, the sharks are the mountain lions of the reef. If they're not being man, and now here they're not even being taken out by well, government there's, officials. There's, they're just getting there's overpopulated. There's two long line permits in South Florida, and both of them. I went to high school with the owner of one of them and another, the other guy from – tavernier he's been a commercial fisherman here forever i've known him my whole life and they're trying to crucify these guys on a day-to-day -day basis just for doing doing their job they have the permit it's a re one of them's a research permit sure so but they're allowed to sell what they're doing the research you know they're given the the samples or whatever they need for the research and then they're allowed to sell the fish afterwards and nothing goes to waste. They're not finning the sharks. They're not right. And that's what everybody and, thinks. I mean, that your your keyboard warriors that are like, I can't believe you're catching a shark. They're endangered. No, some are endangered. There, in there's some no shortage places. of any of them around here. 
I would say down here. I don't know. I don't know well, what, what shark said. would would be considered endangered. That's what I said One in some places, places. Yeah. because it's just like elephants are endangered as a whole. But there are places in Africa where they literally have too many of them. So you can't just wholesale say no hunting of elephants, right. or you're fucking somebody somewhere. And I, there's there's more long line permits throughout the East Coast for those sharks. I mean, not saying long lining is a good thing, but it's getting to a point that everything's so regulated. That that's the only thing to keep a balance. A lot of places yeah, and with it's a lot probably of, not enough to be honest. Is yeah. there a market for shark meat? Uh, a lot of you see it in the restaurants up in central and north Florida. Shark bites and then the Dude. the big markets on on the fins that go to Japan, Japan. for shark shark right. fin soup. Uh, they're getting up to like twenty or thirty dollars an ounce. That's crazy. The dried wow. fin. So. Just crazy. I mean, I've, I've eaten shark. I've had um, well, not all I've sharks are created head, equal. Sharp nose. I mean, they're okay. It's not my favorite thing to eat. eat. Um, but they're high in mercury. The, one of the reasons not to eat them is that they're because they're an apex predator. They tend to be higher in mercury, so you don't want to be eating a lot of that. I mean, that I I don't really see a. I wouldn't eat a shark, but just because I don't think they taste good. That mercury doesn't yeah. bother me. I, I eat swordfish all the time. I'm probably eating swordfish two or three times a month. Do you do any swordfish trips? I do do swordfish trips as well. I did one. Two, day, two days ago, I had a swordfish trip. We daytime had, or nighttime? Daytime. We can do it at nighttime too, as well. It's just way out for that. It's just uh, you're out. It, it kills two days, basically, if you do it at nighttime because you got to prep the day bef- the day of. You're out all night, and then you sleep all day the next day. So yeah, two, They're two true. very different trips. So the day, the day tri- sword trips, from what I can tell, everybody's using big electric reels because you're fishing in 1,200 feet of water. It's more like 16 or 17. <laughs> Ain't Good nobody Lord. hand cranking that up. Well, we used to hand crank, and uh, that's going back to, you know, technology. Now everyone – I don't think there's a lack of swordfish out there. I think they're being educated. Um, when we first started daytime sword fishing 15, 16 years ago down here, it was as soon as the bait hit the bottom, you would get a bite almost <laughs> every time. And now you're having to wait for bites. And I think that the fish are being educated because anybody with a, a big center console and a, and a $10,000 or $8,000 electric reel setup and, you know, a couple thousand dollars more worth of gear can go out there and they can drop a bait on their head. Not saying that they're going to catch one, but these fish are seeing more gear down there. We actually fished with um, Ross when he was running out of West Palm right after the, okay. after the hurricane. And we did some bottom drops. Um, just to see, you know, if we could get some tile fish or maybe some snowies or something like that. And that bite is so subtle. It, I mean, there's, cause there's so much line in the water. It, and you're watching this meat stick of a rod. <laughs> Pool for, cue. <laughs> to, watch it, to watch it go, bit, 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 bit. That's your bite. And if you don't put some tension back on it, you've missed your bite and you're done. It was it was remarkable. We did we didn't get a swordfish. Um, we had a couple of bites that were probably tilefish. We weren't we didn't mm-hmm. land anything, um, and then we went back in and. Well, it takes a while just to get whatever new technique sales. it is. Just like today, there, I I had a couple other snook bites. Crank before you yank. Pretty sure that <laughs> how many times did you say that today, and how many times did we not do it? All of them. That's how many. Every time. It's just you know. The, We're, the muscle the, memory of like the bass a guy. tap of yeah you pitch the jig out there and you hit you feel a tap bam you set that hook there's no reeling in first he's gonna as soon as he feels that tension he's gonna spit it out you well gotta, it's, you're you're tight on your line you, when you have when you're drifting these baits in the current 
you have all that belly in that line or, or all that right, slack. You got to get that slack. You got to get there. the slack out before you, because when you pull on it, you're just pulling on the slack and you're barely poking the fish. And he yeah. feels it and lets go. Yeah, but there, but I mean, it's even just feeling the bite. Like you, you're you're throwing. I mean, these pilchers are pretty good sized. I mean, they're like you know they're three inches, four inches, some of them. Decent. You would think that a fish big enough to eat that is just gonna hump, you know, predatory fish, and it's not really that case. There's a few times that I thought it was just a pilcher moving around, and then it wasn't until later in the day I started to figure out. I'm like, oh, that's a bite. How many t- how many fish have I missed today? Just thinking that was my bait moving around. It's like quite a few. I, actually, I thought I saw your rod tip move a couple. You did. I, you did. I guarantee you did. It was just 100. <laughs> percent I mean, I. I'd be the first to admit it. I mean, there's a learning curve. You know, it's a different style of fishing. That, that's, I think, to anybody listening to this, this is, this is what makes the Keys to me just such a, a magical place if you're serious about your fishing. Get that microphone a little closer to your face. There you go. You can do what we did today, and you're chasing snappers and, you know, the various species of snapper you might catch. You're chasing snook. You might find some redfish. You got a chance for a big tarpon. All in this same little stretch, but it's a very different type of fishing than if you run offshore and you're sight fishing to sailfish. Well, you can do all of it. Dropping. I mean, if you just wanted to catch one snook and one tarpon and one sail, you could potentially do it all in one day. I mean, oh, we could pretty, easily, we yeah. could go pop a snook at the bridge and get some snappers for dinner there and then run offshore and catch a sailfish if the weather was right. I'm in. Um, Let's do it. And that, that's, that's what makes <laughs> this place so unique and so amazing. Well, and I'm like the guy, I'm... And we talked about this in the boat. I like to check species off my list of things I have. And I'm not, like, caught up on size. So if I catch a little two-foot tarpon on here tonight, these little babies that are in this canal, tarpon's off my list. Do I still want to catch a 150-pounder? Absolutely. But tarpon, check. Got that one. So, like, today I was like, I was really hoping we were going to get a – a Cubera snapper because I've never caught one of those. Like I'll you probably had, really you probably one. had one eat your bait. I, I think I got hit a couple times. I, I, I came I back saw, with two heads. I, yeah, I saw. I saw. One of you guys got rocked up. It was a good bite. That was probably a Cubera. Oh, snap. A couple times we got each yeah, well, of us got rocked. I got well, hit. Well, I saw. I saw one bite that was very. Uh, it was probably me. You can just say it. I, I don't. Idiot. I saw a lot of. A lot of missed fish today. Yeah, you there did. was a lot of missed fish today. There was. I don't remember who it was, but. There was one bite in particular I saw. I think it might have been you, Dan. You got rocked. You had a fish get you in the rocks, but it was pulling some good drag. No, there was. It was yeah. I got hit. Yeah. It pulled. Dra- it pulled drag for about zzz, zzz, yeah. and then I was in the rock. And I, that's when I said after that I need to tighten the drag yeah. down initially on that because yeah. there was other than grabbing the reel. I don't know why. Well, and I was trying I to done. do that fine line of letting it yeah. drift. But not, you know, not yeah. keeping too tight a line yeah. on there. But I think I was giving it too much drift. So then all of a sudden I would, I would see like my line jump or something and then I'd reel up to it. And then you're in the rocks already. Yeah. It's like too late. They already brought you in there. Because where I was breaking off and I get snagged up was right at my knot, at the the, the well, line you're, you're to not, leaders. Well, so, you're not, so, you're not as the, the weakest part of the line. Well, that makes sense too. Always. Well, yeah, we're using 30-pound leaders. So, I mean, I guess it would be. And I so want to go circle back to kind of a little bit about your, your experience and how you came back to where you are and what you're doing today. You mentioned you might actually be um, going out with us Friday if, if the schedules match up with well, Ross. Well, I, 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 I lost my – my phone went over the side. So <laughs> I know Ross had me booked for a bunch of days uh, coming up here. And so. that's, 
that that's a, a remarkable thing for anybody who's who's has familiar with how things work here. So you'll have a boat, you'll have a captain who's driving the boat, and then you'll have a mate who's down there doing the rigging and the bait and throwing the cast net and helping the guests and all that. And the guy who, and just because you're the mate doesn't mean you're not just as capable of running that boat. It's just the way the the jobs are doled out on that particular day, uh, or who owns. I the don't boat need to be the whatever. captain every day. It's the money's just as green as as the mate, and I enjoy doing it just as much as the mate. It's uh, as long as everyone works as a team and, and not against each other. It's I think I would enjoy it more. Like the hands-on, you know, you're rubbing shoulders with the actual clients. He's up there in the tower just driving. I mean, I mean, yeah. it it depends. Day to day, it's different. Some days I feel like looking at the sailfish. Some days I sure. feel like, uh, you know, feeding them a bait and teasing them. Or it's uh, it all depends on what you like. It, it, I prefer when it comes to billfish. I like driving the boat, maneuvering the boat on them, and looking at them and getting to see the bite. Um, but I've caught thousands of them. So I've caught nuns of them. <laughs> You've never you haven't got a sale yet. No, I haven't got a sale. The time oh, we the only only time I right. fished for them was when we were down here. And we had a couple. I mean, we had a couple hookups. You had a couple hookups, and then was, they got off. And then, uh, while we were chasing those showers, we had one literally right swim past the, the boat, within a foot of the boat. <laughs> like, well, there's one. <laughs> it was awesome to see, but yeah, I didn't. I have not yet caught a sail. Um, oddly enough, I'm like not concerned about it. I don't know. I'm for. I mean, I really I want to catch one, but it's. I'd rather catch a Goliath grouper or a big tarpon first. You say that until you've seen an 80-pound fish tail walk for 30 yards. I have yards. seen it on videos. <laughs> I'm not saying it. I, I do want to catch one. I've already established I want to catch anything no matter what size. So, yes, I do want to catch a sailfish. But um, I don't know. Maybe that's just where I'm at right They're, now. Like my, my They were focus. out there today. I bet they I killed bet them they today. were. Everything Is that what perfect. you're looking up right now? No, I'm seeing who posted what on social media so far today. They do good. Uh, like, okay. I mean, that not everyone's on their phone all day posting. Sure. But, uh, I know uh, the Carib Sea, a good friend of mine, Casey Spaulding. He he caught seven, sixteen or seventeen fish yesterday. God, and it was supposed to be the same same condition today. So, the um, I want to talk a little bit. You you touched on it briefly, but even though you're third generation guide here in the keys you you know you had to, you you left for a little bit you went out you tried some other other types of fishing in other places well that, that that's going back to you know i think the best fishermen in the world are going to come out of isla Morada because it's such a we're not catching blue marlin every day but you know it's there's other types of fishing that you learn that that is easily you're easily taught to rig baits for that and you have to make a fish bite. A fish, I don't care what it is. A fish is a fish, and you got to know the behavior of of a, a migrating fish, of you know a bottom fish, or, to understand. You, once you understand it, then you become a better fisherman. And under, understanding everything from a you know a sailfish is still a billfish, and the behavior is similar with a lot of them. I mean, not saying that a sailfish in Isla Mirada is is just like catching a blue marlin, you know, over 500 pounds in Bermuda. Not saying that at all, but you know the behavior of a, of a migratory fish, and uh, you know lightening your leader to get a bite out of a fish or making something swim better, you understand that a lot more with all the different species we have down here. And you that your your experience and your skills have taken you to Alaska. You said Costa Rica through the canal, through the canal all the way. I'm 
So what made you do the Alaska thing? Because I brought up ice fishing, and you're like, nope, hard pass. I don't like the cold. <laughs> and you're like, but I went to Alaska. I don't I don't like the, the extreme heat either. So well, I don't, well, you're in the wrong spot for that. Yeah, well, in the summertime, Alaska's a little bit nicer than Isla Mirada. Well, that's my true, opinion. too. Do you still go back there? Or? I haven't. I went up there for four seasons, and I haven't. I've been wanting to go back um, for a few years now and just haven't really had the time. I wanted to go back for vacation. but um, Was there ever a time where you, like, did you, did you, always, did you know you were going to follow your dad? For the most part, yeah. Did you ever think, like, I don't want to do this, I want to try something else? Did you try anything else, or did you just, like? I mean, I, I have a, a broker's license. To, I have a license to sell boats. I, I could do that okay. if I wanted to. Um most everything is marine related or, sure. or or boat related that I would do. I couldn't sit in an office if I. Oh God, me either. I, I, my brother's a lawyer, <laughs> so I, I don't know how he does it. I come here and I fish every chance I get. That's oh, what keeps me. From I would going hang insane. myself if I didn't hang people first. The um, most people on Isla Mirada make their living off one of two or three ways. One is direct contact with tourists, taking them fishing. The other is is fishing, feeding them alcohol, feeding them alcohol, right, or food. Well, it's tourist based. I mean, it, or, or or you're working on the boats. You're working on, you know, you're you're doing the you're the repair guys. You're the trade guys that are helping out. There's a quarter acre um, of land from side to side. It's not like you can have a farm out here. I mean, it's the only industry this, is it is, is a, fishing and tourism. It is a tourist. Yeah, that's it. Entire keys from from yeah, Key Largo all it, the way down. Unless you're commercial fishing, it's yeah. Is that how many guys do that? How many guys make a living? They, there's quite a few. Well, you know, restaurants got to have fish. There's, so. uh, I mean, the largest commercial lobster fishery in the world is, you know, for spiny lobsters is right here in the Keys. Um, some of those get really big, a lot bigger than I thought. Massive. I was seeing some pictures on, on social media. I'm like, I had no idea a lobster got that big. They're ridiculous. Well, they get, they get them really big regularly in, in northern Florida and even up off, off the Carolinas, they get them on the deep wrecks. I mean, they're... Yeah, they get eight, Freaking, ten pounds. Some of them. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Where are those at Red Lobster? I'm not getting those <laughs> on the menu. Market price. Sorry, your bill's two hundred fifty dollars. What in the shit? Those are the ones you see that everybody thinks of of the lobster with the claws and all yeah, that. Well, those are all. That's a Yankee crab. Those are all the Yankee crab. Lobsters don't have claws. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Boston in uh, May, so I bet they disagree. But. We'll see. Hopefully, I can well, find a guy up there to better. do a podcast with. Uh, they're all pretty good, I think. I do like warm water. The lobster tails are great. Did you ever take a, a turn at the commercial fishing? Uh, I've done here and there. I never did it full time. I mean, I I worked on a long line boat up in North Florida for one trip and realized that that's not a lot of fun. And I've done some commercial fishing down here, but we the yellowtail snapper fishery here is another bit you know i would say spiny lobster stone crabs and and the yellowtail snapper is the largest commercial fishing that's done here in the keys um but they all for the most part the commercial boats they all do all three of them you know they all have lobster traps they all have stone crab traps and most of them have a, a snapper license where they can commercial fish the groupers and snappers so lobster season's closed right now. Lobster right? season just closed. So the the lobster boats that have the grouper snapper license, the snappers are coming in to spawn. So they're going to start commercial snapper fishing. When I was looking at this fish rules map which, or app, which is pretty cool, tells you like the fishing regulations and what's in season and what's not. 
and there's a goofy ass looking kind of lobster that is oh, open. Oh, a, a Spanish lobster or a shovel? That's a, a shovel nose lobster. It says slipper on here. Slipper lobster. Where do you well, find them? Uh, they're on the reef. You don't see too many of them, no. really. I, I don't know why there's no regulation on I mean, them because the I don't looks, see many of them. The thing looks just like a piece of coral. I mean, I think that's I – mean, it's. They're very tasty. It says edibility, excellent. So they're I'm much like, well. I, they're much better than the spiny <laughs> lobsters. Really? I love spiny better. lobsters. Wow. Those are sweeter and, and oh, look, so syn- yeah, synonyms, shovel nose lobster, it says so. Um, huh. But well, I don't know. I don't understand the – and general the limit is a hundred pounds. So well, the general limit on on anything is is a hundred pounds. Yeah, here for unre- an unre- unregulated species is is a hundred pounds. So Spanish have, is open too. Spanish is open too, and we don't see very many of those. I don't under understand okay. why it's one of those. Are they are reg- they an invasive? No, they're not invasive. They're not? Okay, but it's I going back the to the Spanish thing. Maybe they weren't really from the here, regulation so. thing. You know, where the, I don't think they're regulating the right things in the right areas. And that may – I've never seen an abundance of either one of those lobsters here, and I don't know the science behind it. People probably just don't pursue them, maybe. Maybe they're just not as I don't easy think, to get. I don't think it's the – I don't think we have the right environment for them here, okay. really. Okay. Um, well, that was my question, too. Is that is that something you've seen change? Like, did they used no, to be I've here never, and now I've, they're not? I've never – I've seen hand, I've seen them here and there, and it's been from – I think I saw the first slipper lobster or shovel-nosed lobster when I was seven or eight years old, and – Every time I see one, I'm like, oh, those those are cool. How but, big are they? Uh, about a pound and a half, two pounds. Oh, okay. And, uh, I mean, it's not common that I see one, but it's not, you know, something I get overly excited. Yeah. You know. hmm. what, what species has changed the most since you were a kid growing up to now? Everything's changed a little bit. I mean, our snapper, our yellowtail snapper fishery and our grouper fishery, has changed a whole lot. I, I don't think just fishing in general, there's more pressure. Um, it's a lot easier for people that are unguided to come out here and, and actually they do catch some fish or, you know, they will mess it up for others or <laughs> what. I mean, but at the end of the day, the fish are still seeing more, more hooks, more sure, weights, yeah, more, more pressure. Lines. It doesn't matter if they're eating it or not. They're still looking at it and they're being educated um i can look back at you know some days as a kid where even myself you know oh we we caught 10 sailfish that day if i had the the knowledge and the tackle that i have now of taking it from other places and you know other fisheries throughout you know the east coast of florida and and stuff we would have caught 20 or 30 um you know, the Keys has always been known for sight fishing sailfish. And it, not until the tournaments with a lot of money have been coming to South Florida, you know, in the past 15 years, we didn't really kite fish here. Sure. We sight fished everything. And um, it took the the Keys boats and the, the best of the guides and captains down here getting their ass handed to them a couple of times <laughs> to finally get. By kite fishermen? Yeah, by kite fishermen coming <laughs> down here from Miami. To finally get dialed in on the kites. Now we got a, a good handle on both of it, but you know, I would say we well, can compete with anybody in any tournament. But you take someone from you know north of here that doesn't sight. This is our backyard. You, you, you can't they they you can't teach them the sight fishing like like we know it. Just there's certain rocks I can look at and say the fish are going to come off here on a certain condition. 
Uh, it's looking from the tower of the boat down at, at a coral head. Sure. It's not right. Um, so you can kite fish anywhere, but you you can't teach the bottom structure and, and, and the the behavior of the. You know, some of the fish I think are resident fish, or not resident fish, but stick here all year and don't make the full migration because I caught one the other day with four hooks, four leaders, wow. four other leaders hanging out of its mouth. Crazy. That was actually with Ross. <laughs> the uh, and for those of you who don't know who we're talking about, Ross Early is the captain of the Early Bird. He charters out of Bud and, Marie, Bud and Mary's Marina here in Isla Morada. Um, he and I have a connection in that I used to work for his dad when he was a lawyer, and then he then became a judge early. Um, and so I've known Ross literally since high school. Um, but Ross has always been fascinated with the outdoors, hunting and fishing, and I'm I'm glad he found his path. And that's kind of why I'm I'm curious about your path because your path has taken you literally around the globe, but you're using what you caught here to to in, uh, I've in applied, adapting to i've applied places. what i've learned here over you know the course of a lifetime um i've applied it everywhere what yeah. are what are the what are the big differences between like fishing here for billfish here versus fishing billfish in costa rica uh the costa rica we're covering a lot more ground the, the fish are a little more spread out i would say um and it's it's more dead bait trolling up there once you really the only place they they live bait billfish or, or sailfish i should say is from west palm beach south and, and what are you using like giant ballyhoo like what or, for dead uh for, we, yeah dead bait we use bally we're using ballyhoos mullets mackerel um uh, i mean the the actual bait that we're feeding to the fish is a ballyhoo and about hand size is what we're using for sailfish um i would like to go to costa rica but i want to catch a rooster I had a friend of mine who went to Costa Rica with some friends, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and they w- they did a three-day trip, and they caught, in those three days, 115 sails and five blues. <laughs> and my, my last my last trip down there Stop wasn't it. quite as good as that, but, I mean, we, we caught, uh, I think, three days. We caught over, I think, almost 50 sails, one blue and one black. I mean, so... He oh. said. He said on the, the third day they were there. The lat the Sunday that they were there, like it was the last day they were out. <laughs> after, by the time it was after lunch, the rod would go down, and dude would be like, "Dude, it's your turn." <laughs> <laughs> I did the last one. You're up. You, you're up, man. It's, you got to <laughs> take that fish. <laughs> oh, I would love to have that problem. If if I could only just complain about I caught too many sails today. I do think, and I do like the way Isla Mirada does it. The the, the sight fishing um, to feeding sails yeah, and chasing more sprays. Fun for me. I would I would rather catch that's a lot of fun. four or five sight fishing than than ten. I mean, unless you're giving me real numbers, we're talking twenty fish or more. I'll take four or five over you know ten. Exactly. For me, that's cross board. Anytime somebody throws the word trolling in, my, my eyes glaze over and I start to lose interest real quick. But there is. When the, a trolling bite gets real good, and you're trolling teasers around, you know, you got daisy chains with no no hooks in it, yep. and you're you're teasing the fish, the colors on that fish when it comes up, and, and you're pulling, yeah, I've heard and how how mad just so bright that fish is when you're pulling that. <laughs> I think that's why I like sight fishing so much because you already see that color. Yeah, you, you see you, him fired you, up. You're see, you're looking at that before. You don't have to put a teaser in front of them. You don't have to put a bait in front of them to do that. They're already chasing the bait up in shallow, and yeah. they're already 
got that electric blue in their their pec fins, and they already well, got like the white diamond fly on their forehead. Fish form. I mean, that's just badass where you tease them up with those, and then you got to put that fly right back in their face and get them to eat it. Like, that would be fun. Now, that I would be interested in doing. That would take some skill with a fly, but. Especially yeah. heavy flies are really difficult. But Where do you see the, the keys coming? Uh, what's next for the keys? I, I do think that the availability of center console bay boats that have, you know, these Top of the well, line I mean, electronics. It, it could go a couple of different ways. I, I mean, they proposed uh, something a few years ago that basically made all of Monroe County a, a marine sanctuary and you could not fish it. And we had to, the Charter Boat Association had to get involved in a lot of organizations. It would, it would bankrupt the Keys. It would, it would devastate it. I mean, um, the, they sent out, you know, a, thing to everyone with the bit you know a charter license and it was the proposal basically it took the existing sanctuaries and spread them out it stretched them to where it didn't give us any room to catch bait it didn't give us any room to fish it you know uh what we did today would have been considered illegal wow crazy yeah we didn't go anywhere yeah it would have been from shore all the way out to three miles and like with a very small. Well, and so and explain like what they're doing. Like you like you don't even want to go back into like the Everglades right now because you have to get a, a separate permit. I mean, go well, ahead and touch I mean, on we, that a little we, bit. The, the permit's always been, you know, 253. I, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was $300 somewhere around there, 200, $275. And that's, you know, they, the park needs to make money for, you know, to be maintained and all right. that stuff, which is fine. But that was more of for the convenience. You know, we paid that fee for the convenience of our customers to not have them have to, just like we have a blanket fishing license. When you get on my boat, your I, license your, covers, your, my license covers the anglers. You don't have to get on the internet or on the phone and call and put a credit after you're paying all this money for a charter. And then they want to whack you for another $35. So they upped our, our, our permit fee and they want, you to pay $35 a person on top of your charter rate and on top of me paying more money for the permit to go in the park with the charter. Yeah. And so. what you were explaining earlier is like the, that money is being used for like infrastructure on land that yeah. you, we don't even use that, <laughs> that fishermen don't use. So, and it's, if you actually look at the, the regular rules and re, uh, regulations, and I, I don't, this is something I've heard secondhand. I have not seen it, but, uh, if you look at federal parks and federally funded parks that it says somewhere they're not allowed to charge by water entry. So any state or any park you can get to by water, mm. they're not supposed to charge you. But that was just, I, I heard that secondhand. I have not read into it. Yeah. Sounds like something a lawyer should look into. <laughs> I'll see if I know, I know any. a guy. I know. I might know a guy. Put some feelers out on the old, facebook do you do you enjoy fishing in the everglades yeah. that back country um i mean i like i said i've seen the seagrass deteriorate in the winter time when it's when it's good and it's not it, it gets stagnant back there you're protected from the wind you're so spring you know any later than spring it gets really warm back there i bet and you're on a boat with no no cover half you know Telling even you, on a boat sun, with a t-top it's and it's a long that's, way as soon as we get off way. the water and you were kind enough to kind of give us a little uh, cast net 
lesson, as soon as we got off the water, out of that wind, was just the sun. Holy shit, it's hot. (laughs) I'm not a heat person. I am not. I'm just, I'll take cold because I can put another layer on. You can only get so naked and it's still hot. It's just, I'm just not a heat person. Never have been. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't. Uh, well, hopefully we can get some pilchers tomorrow because you're not going to be able to throw that net for us. But I think I got it opened up enough that if we get, if we can find them, we should. First, be able we got to find them. Then we got to catch them. First, we got to go swap that net out because we got one with too big a hold. That's true. We should probably do that before the. That shop is. Uh, they close at seven. Oh, we got a couple hours. It'll be good. Where's your uh, Where's your clientele come from? How All, do people find you? Uh. A lot of stuff is – most of my clientele is word of mouth, just like you, you guys found me through Ross. Right. Um, and then you hopefully go back to Charleston or um, Hilton Head and tell your friends about it and come back down. And that's the, the type of clients that I like to have. Not that I, I'm opposed to new ones, but, you know, seems to always be a good day on the water when you're referred – when I have someone referred to me. you get any, like, uh, celebrity clients? I've had a few like over who? the years. Uh my stepfather fished uh, Dale Earnhardt when we were when I was a kid and got to fish with him. Johnny, senior, senior, yes. Um, and Johnny Morris from Bass Pro Shops. I'm very close friend with John Paul, his son. I grew up with him. My stepfather ran his private boat for him. Nice. And uh, who else? Andy Garcia, the actor, has fished with me a few times. Cool. Uh, Warren Sapp is down here all the time. Warren's a bass guy. <laughs> I like Warren. He's a, he's a, he's an anything guy. Yeah, he just likes fishing. Got to come up to Pelican Lake or Minnesota. Yeah, if you're listening, to Warren Sapp, we'll put you on some bass in Minnesota. Let's go. Come on, give me a call. We'll do this. <laughs> it's an overlooked. Well, Minnesota just got on the map like big time with the MLF and Bassmasters in the last couple of years because they did Malax, Giant Smallmouth, and, and then also did the Grand Rapids totals. area, which is a great area for for bass, both species. But uh, we got the lake for you, so. People drive <laughs> right past it every year. The um, so you've done some celebrity trips. Have you done any of the take guys out for TV shows? That uh, kind of I've thing? done a few of those. I mean, I used to do uh, a lot of Make a Wish Foundation trips. Oh, that's great! And uh, I, I enjoy doing that. We ha- haven't had a call for that in a while, but um, done. Used to do them more than I. I haven't done one in about four or five years. I would say. Um, did a couple TV shows with Norm Isaacs and, okay. uh, you know, with Johnny Morris as well. And um, how do you like that that experience? I mean, I just enjoy fishing. I don't need to be a celebrity. Um, well, if I our do- spot lock would have worked today. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, and this is such a hard thing to get. Like, I've, had a, I've hired other, you know, charters and guides in the past, and I like to fish with other people. And most guides won't fish. And I had a guy that I fished stripers in in Knoxville, Tennessee with. And once I got my first good striper, I'm good. Checked yeah. off the list, right? And rods are going left and right. And I'm like, grab that one. This one's going. And he would not. He would just leave it. <laughs> out. He would not. I'm like, dude, we're just two guys fishing together. Let's mm-hmm. fish together. He would mm-hmm. not. So had everything worked together, I was about ready to say, you need to start fishing, Danny. <laughs> like, well, I don't like – like right away this morning when you were tying on my jig, I got real uncomfortable. <laughs> I got real uncomfortable. I, I was actually about ready for me to – I was about ready to step back, take a, you know, eat a sandwich or, or you know, have some water or something and, and watch you fish. 
because watching how you set the hook or when you set the hook actually makes that's me a, good a better point. fisherman. That's actually a good point. So I'm perfectly happy watching somebody who knows what they're doing. That's do actually their a really thing. good point. Um, I I had a similar experience when I was in. Uh, it's not really. It's Puerto Rico, but it's the island of. Uh, um, what's the one it's you can't even get to it now anyway it's um I'm drawing a mental blank on it. i don't know where you're going with this it's uh, not puerto rico it's an island well it can't get there what is yeah, it magical they got an ice wall around it well it's calibre it's it's, it's calibre is one and then you have viecas viecas is the island um used to, half of it used to be a naval bombing range and the other half had two little villages on it the navy finally gave it back to them in the 90s like late 90s um, and now they're slowly opening it up. But I, I, there was two charter guys. One guy took you off into deep water, and one guy did the backcountry. So I did the backcountry guy because he was open. The other guy wasn't. And we went back, and we're on his boat. And he's like, well, first thing we got to do is catch some bait. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And he's going around. And he's like, um, can you throw a cast net? I said, not as good as you, but I can drive the boat. Why don't you throw the cast net, and I'll drive the boat. <laughs> and you could just see the look on his face like, I'm not letting you drive right, my, my boat. boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, trust me, dude, I can do this. And so we did that, and we got the bait quick. And then we, he, we went out, and we got on the, you know, it was actually kind of similar to what we were doing here. There was a reef, and we were fishing the deep pocket of the reef, and we were just running that current line, pitching, you know, and, and for to snook. Um and we caught a few other species as well, but he, um, it took a whole pass. Uh, and once I caught a couple of fish, I was like, dude, if you don't pick up a rod, <laughs> you and I are going to fight. <laughs> so just, and then he was like, are you serious? I'm dead serious. And so he picked up a rod and what, and by me watching how he would feed the line, feed the line over a coral head where he would lay his bait in, on a coral head, I started learning better, and I got better. I've caught more fish after he started fishing that than makes I sense. did and when I, it was just me. And I wrestle with that a little bit as I come into the summertime and, and get clients and, and teach them. It's like there's so much – there's so many intangibles. Like if you throw – I'm so used to throwing a jig, right? I know how it's supposed to fall. I know that – and sometimes the hit isn't a hit. Sometimes the hit is – it just, it just did, didn't fall fast enough. It didn't hit I the bottom. I think something's Why got didn't it. Hit the bottom? And then you just set the hook, and one's there. And that's a really hard thing to portray to to get across to people that don't that have no baseline. Like, I don't feel anything. Set the hook. Like, well, what do you mean set the hook? I don't feel anything. Like, I trust you. There's a fish on there. Now it's too late. We had a conversation about it. It's too late. <laughs> Generally speaking, here we don't set the hook on anything. We just reel. Sure. Well, yeah. clearly we've messed that up multiple yeah. times. Crank before you yank. Crank before you yank. But, what, but that's the thing, you know, so we have a pattern that works for us. We right. assume it's going to work here, and we have to be broken of that habit because we're not fishing in our home It's waters. our due. Plus, I'm sure you get this. I mean, tell me, maybe you don't, but I'm sure you get the people that think they're better than they are. It's like, yeah, I catch Walleye sunfish. fishermen especially. <laughs> oh, I guarantee that is 100% true and uh, 100% true. They yeah, they think they're better than everybody. That's Walleye and muskie fishermen. Yeah, I don't like them either. Although I will fish for muskies, it's fun. But bass, fish, bass fishing is where it's at. <laughs> I like to poke, poke the bear, stoke the flames of that. The, in Minnesota, there's a huge. Well, not even just Minnesota. The like upper Midwest, there's like a a pretty big like walleye versus bass guy rivalry. And yeah, the, the walleye guys are all pricks. That's well, what we're it. hoping to do with. Um, 
and this is the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. And what we're hoping to do with Full Scale Outdoors really is take people from places like North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, who are very familiar catching walleye and and muskies and and bass, and you know, in their in their home waters, bring them down to the Keys, bring them to South Carolina, bring them to North Carolina, let them catch a forty pound bull red catch when the runs on. Man, I've talked about it a zillion times, and you touched on it while we we're fishing. Like people like sharks. I'm like, yes, they do like sharks because <laughs> a shark is pretty much an alien creature if you grew up in minnesota like you just can't even imagine and when people catch a two and a half three foot little shark they're still happy as pigs and shit it doesn't have to be jaws and they lose their minds i still get excited i mean how, how many bonnet heads have i caught in hilton head now like a bunch of them not a zillion but i've caught a bunch of them I still like it. I don't, they, I don't care if it's a tiny little Atlantic shark nose. I'm like, ah, I caught a shark. This thing's cool. I'm sorry. They're just cool. There comes a point in every man's life where catching an Atlantic sharp nose is no not longer Not if you cool. don't do it day in and day out. <laughs> it's a good that, stone crab bait. If that's not where you live, it's always going to be cool. So I only get to do it like once a year. So it's there's still a, cool to me. There's a certain guide in Hilton Head who shall not be named who says, you know, one of the best baits for big sharks are little sharks. Little sharks. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody listening from Minnesota, if you would like, if you have not caught a shark and you want to catch a shark, we can do that for you. We got the hookup in Hilton Head. So. And we got the hookup in Isla Mirada. And I, really, Absolutely. I wanted to, we talked about this very briefly, but the reason we did what we did today to bringing you on here and, and I told Ross what we were trying to do. I'm much more comfortable now running just the area we ran because I watched you do it on my boat. I know my boat's capable of it. I'm I'm just more comfortable now. The more comfortable you are, the more confident you are, the safer you're going to be, the more you're going to enjoy it. It's just it, it takes that learning curve that took you years to figure out. And not that I'm, you know, now I'm 10%. I got 10% of it down. Just knowing where to go. Well, a lot of it's reading there. the water, too. The water here is very, very clean. And you can just see the shading of the water. Really cool. Yeah. So if it's uh, fishing, aquarium. if it's brown or or you know tan, probably shouldn't go near it. <laughs> that, that means there's sand under there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we have your number, so we're probably gonna bug you. It's like tomorrow. Where would we? What, I, <laughs> we don't have a plan for tomorrow. We gotta come up with a plan. We'll come up. I mean, if we can get out, I, I definitely want to get out. But if we can't, if then the conditions on the reef are like they are, are like they were today, I would love to do that. The with the east wind and yeah. the, uh, it looks like, I think, two, what's so it's on, yeah Tuesday I think Tuesday Wednesday is going to be a short as long as that current edge stays there tomorrow it looks like the wind's going to drop out a little bit, but sometimes the wind dropping out will make the edge stronger and then the the wind picking back up we're going to have an edge, or the wind switching out of the south a little bit which I think it is going to do if it's correct, it's going to push the edge in even tighter. When you talk about too, like once the waves are kind of built, then there's still even if the yeah. wind dies down, you might still have issues yep. with our boat getting out to you know the yeah. hump or whatever. So, well, but if that edge gets pushed in by a south wind, you don't have to go as far. True. It's not that we couldn't have gotten out there; it's yeah. just that we would have beat I mean, the I shit out of I'm ourselves. I'm not gonna be mad if I catch another am- 45 pound <laughs> amberjack. I mean, that was fun. That was the first time in my life I ever had to shake my arm out while fighting a fish because well, it was I, getting tired. I think uh, I have some availability Tuesday. And with the larger boat, if that that condition does happen, we may be able to do it. But, you know how to find us. Yeah. yeah. What do you What do you What do you see for the future of this area? What do you hope for it? 
uh, future of this area? I mean, it it all depends on, you know. If you're I'm king not, of the world, I'm, I'm not, if you, if you, I'm not if trying you to, drop the gavel, like what changes you make I'm not trying to get into politics, but, you know. get into politics, But, you know, if we keep a Republican governor, which is just, it's not even about Republican or Democrat. It's consistency. Right. If you go switch it, you know, we've had a Republican governor for the past eight years, and we have have one now, and we and he seems to be, Mr. DeSantis seems to be helping the Everglades or attempting to help the Everglades and do something about it, which Rick Scott did not. See, that's interesting. I, sorry, I don't mean to interject, but from someone who's not from here, I actually thought just because the this current governor seems to be so different from the, I assumed it was a different party, and it's the same same party. Same party. Yeah. I think the only reason wow. he, I don't know that he is that different. I think the reason he's he different, has to be. Well, yeah, because he now has to be. Too many people are pounding on his door. Captains for clean water and other people affiliated with them um, demonstrated in a very real way that they can bring money and votes to bear. And if you're not going to pay attention to this, then you're not going to get elected. You're, you're not going to get. You got. You're going to have a problem politically. I mean, there's nothing worse for the tourist trade than dead tarpons r- washing up on manatees. the Manatees. You want to get manatees. people's attention? Show somebody a dead so, manatee. That will piss everybody off. You can, you can keep sticking your head in the sand and do nothing, or you can stay in office. Something just needs to be both. done. I mean, those images, I mean, and I granted they're there to, to get your attention I mean, and to stir emotion, but. Red Tide has been an issue here before the sugar farms, before yep. anything. Oh, for sure. Red Tide's existed forever, but has it gotten worse? Yes. And is it being influenced by something? Yes. Um, Those videos when they were pumping that water at Okeechobee, it was like lime green. I mean, oh, I've been to Lake Okeechobee. Like, it's and, disgusting. I mean, come on, but man. Like that, you got to know that's going to have an impact. But, I mean, the, their other solution was to release itself, and then it brings it to me. Sure. Um Sorry to say it, but I'm sorry to all my friends in Stewart and Jupiter <laughs> and on the West Coast, but better you than me. East um, Coast. Uh, well, the, it pumps out the West Coast yeah. as well. Stewart, I mean, Stewart's on the East. Stewart's on the East Coast, and then, you know, uh, Caloosahatchee pumps out to the West. Um, like I said, better better you than me, but um, it's uh, – it, it, I if, had if, a they, day when I was in Stewart. Actually, it was Fort Lucci. Fort St. Lucci, yeah. Man, I had gotten to a bluefish bite that was insane <laughs> off that jetty right there. Insane. I the, went through, like, every lure in my box. They just destroyed everything. At some point in time, I thought, I'm going to get sick of catching these, and I didn't. It wasn't until it was, like, well after dark, and I had almost hooked myself, like, three times. And I'm like, now it's getting dangerous. There's no lights out here. I'm like, I need to just stop. But they were still biting. Like, they it was five hours of straight feeding frenzy. It was Unbelievable. That's the beauty of saltwater. <laughs> Three to five pound bluefish. I mean, it was uh, these things. You, lo- you like love catching drunk, don't you? Dude, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> I had a smile on my face for days after that. You know what bluefish are good for? Fertilizer. Shark- catching? Shark bait. <laughs> catching? Shark People were keeping them. When I got up there that day, so how it panned out. So I went there the day before, and I talked to the bait shop. And they're like, well, they're getting some bluefish up in Fort St. Lucie. I'm like, all right, we'll go up there. So I go up there and I get there and I'm talking to some guys and you know everybody they're kind of half-ass fishing they're like oh when the sun hits the tops of the trees they'll start biting I'm like all right sure as shit <laughs> it's, I mean the, the 
moment that sun touched the tallest palm tree, I started seeing people's rods go off. And then I caught a few of them. Like, oh, they fight good. I mean, it well, was they fun. Fight good. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get down here earlier because I noticed in the rocks there was all sorts of, like, little snappers and croakers and stuff. And I had a lighter rod. I'm like, I'm just going to come down here and screw around and catch these little fish until the sun gets lower. And then I'll switch over to blues. So I get there, and as I'm walking down the jetty, they're not on the riverside. They're on the beach side, and people are already walking off the jetty with bags full of fish. Everybody's rod is – I'm like, what is going on? All those bait fish were corralled as tight to that rock as possible. Anything that dared stray got destroyed. <laughs> you threw your lure out there, and it, I don't care what it was. Like, you literally could take a kitchen spoon, drill a hole in it, put a hook, throw it out there, and you would have caught a fish. The – as soon as something hit the water, like three to five of them bum rushed it. It was a legit feeding frenzy. It was awesome. I loved every we, second of it. We don't catch a lot of, of uh, bluefish in Carolina. I catch a few. Um, I, we always keep. Yeah, they're um, random. We get yeah, them up there. Random, random, really randomly. random. And you only ever catch one. And never in a pack. Um, but when we catch them, we, they're a great shark bait. And they're also good for bull reds in the fall. You throw that big oily chunk down on the bottom, and it doesn't take long. Something's something's chowing. Oh, they are stinky, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, but that, people are keeping them. I don't know what they smoke them or what they, they do with smoke them. them. But. I've had them. Say, they say you, you smoke kingfish and Spanish mackerel and stuff, and that's decent. And people told me, oh, it's just like mackerel. It's terrible. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Is it something that you need to bleed out right away? I mean, Would that I, help? I, I mean, not just throw it on ice, a, but literally bleed it out. Anything like that's right oily or, or bloody, you need yeah. to bleed. What's your, what's your favorite fish to eat? It depends. I mean, for like a white flaky fish, I like deep water snapper. You know, a queen snapper, a yellow eye snapper. Uh, the, the, red, boring, the boring fish. The very rare and elusive American red snapper. Oh, that's because it's commercial lobbyists as opposed <laughs> to recreational <laughs> lobbyists. But, um, yeah, those are, are pretty tasty, but we don't. Get a chance to harvest we, them so we much. We talked about this on our drive down. Like what, and Minnesotans are famous for this. Like what they consider tasty fish are fish that don't taste like anything. Yeah. The firm, nice, white, flaky fish that all you taste is the batter or what you put into it. That's what they think is tasty. And I'm like, no, tuna's tasty. Salmon is tasty. Like, that has a flavor. This stuff doesn't taste like anything. The deep water snapper has a, a unique sweet. flavor. It's, it's very sweet. sweet. Like it, mahi. Mahi is sweet. It's mahi. mahi is great. I mean, mahi is not one of my favorites, but I do eat it from time to time. I would say for offshore white meat fish, I would do a wahoo or a triple tail. Triple tails. I haven't had triple, triple tails. tails. Very it's really good. good. We caught two last summer. There was a big tree floating down the middle of the Port Royal Sound, and I was like, Trent, you know there's got to be one there. We went over there and just threw little jigs underneath it. And Smash. It, they were big. I mean, they were dinner plate size. It's like you're saying the cobias. Like, if you see a triple tail, generally they eat. From what I hear, yeah. I haven't caught one. but They generally do eat. They yep. are aggressive as hell. What's your thing? A little a jig and a, a shrimp? I use a live bait. or You can use a jig. A shrimp on a on just a plain circle plain hook. hook, yeah, or a, a live pilchard on a plain hook, or will they take that big of a bait? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. What we did was I took a. You uh, seem to have kind of a small moth, I thought, just by the picture. I had the small circle hook already rigged to a popping cork, and I just we put a piece of I took a piece of uh, cut bait and cut it lengthwise so it had a little flutter to it and flipped it out there and then just snapped that popping cork back two or three times and that thing went like that and. I did catch about a 14-inch cuda today. 
forgot about That's right, that. He did catch the cuda. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was cute. I didn't even know there was a minimum length for cuda, but apparently there are. <laughs> <laughs> There's they, And they just upped the minimum length for we triple getting, tail as we well. We were getting hassled by them in that one spot today. Yeah, we, we were surrounded by little time, like by a uh, little cuda today. They definitely learn when you're fishing. Like, they definitely learn to come chase yeah. caught fish. And, the, and the, the big ones do. Too. The big ones know even more more so when you're catching the snappers on the wrecks and, and reef offshore. They just wait for you to catch it. Well, and then, and then that, you know, get away from too. the Goliath, too. Like, I've watched a couple of videos, like, if you're fishing for a snapper or whatever, it's like you have to get the thing up and out of it, get it to the yeah. boat, or you're going to lose it to a, a shark or a grouper. Oh, yeah. It's like that's. That kind of stuff does not happen in Minnesota. Yeah, that's not something <laughs> Just, we have. Well, I have caught, I have had a pike hit it. I have caught a muskie hitting. Did you get to do any exotic species when you were down in Costa Rica or just the billfish? Uh, we did uh, billfish. I caught uh, some roosterfish down there, some big snook down there, snapper, big cubera snappers. Like how big down there do they get? Oh, 60, 80 pounds. <laughs> you can catch them 60, 80 pounds here in August, September. They Where start. do they hang out? On the reefs? or uh, out, there, There's some wrecks out in 150 to 200 feet of water. That you go out yes, you, please. You got to do that on the full moon in July and August, early September. It's too hot. That's when they're here. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to do it at nighttime, too. So Really? And you're... Use live lobsters for bait, but you can't do that until August because the season doesn't season close. I've heard lobster is good and, for Goliath too. And they, uh, the FWC knows when that spawn sure. is, and they're out there checking for people with lobsters in July. So, hmm. interesting. All right, we should probably cut you loose here, Captain Danny. Let everybody know where they can find you, how they can get a hold of you, all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, Instagram Captain Beanie, C A P T Beanie, like the hat B A B E A. N I E. All one word. All one word. No underscores. None of that that garbage. And uh, Captain Danny Lombardo on Facebook. And Boy, both of them link. Facebook. I'll have to do that. Both of them have a link to my phone number and my website. Perfect. And anyway. for anybody listening to this, I highly recommend him. Uh, it was a great day today. We learned a lot. We had a good time. He definitely knows these waters. Anytime. I highly recommend getting if you're whether you're trying to DIY or you're going to. It might seem like a lot of money up front. But what you learn from hiring a guide, whether it's hunting or fishing, whatever it might be, you just it's worth it. It's worth every penny of it, especially if you trailer your boat down here. Like we we're good for I mean, we have a baseline now that we can go off of. Like we wouldn't have figured out how to catch those fish. Uh, I mean, like, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have you know friends in the industry all over the place and I haven't had to pay for it. But I do, you know, I do do some fishing and hunting elsewhere in my off season and I uh been i'm doing alligator charters this year nice and uh last year we're gonna talk about that a little bit because i want that in florida here in florida last year i i did it for the first time from a a boat or you know by myself and i was fortunate enough where my tags were i had a friend that helped me out and kind of pointed me in the right direction how much is that gonna cost me that's That's pricey it's pricey in florida i know like louisiana uh, florida is really spendy isn't it um, for non-resident yeah well you can't get an alligator it's very difficult for a, a, really? a non-resident to get one they will you can go in the lottery but my tags cost a tenth of what your tags will cost yeah and that's no, why there's such a market in the charters um you know to say i'd have to put all the expenses and everything together but you know you kill you, an average a, a 10 foot alligator it's going to cost you about five grand huh 
Do you eat? Uh, them? I'm going caribou you, first before I do you alligator. Can, uh, five grand. I eat them. Um, I'm a little burnt out on them. I got a whole bunch. Of, I killed ten <laughs> alligators last year. So ten. Um, five grand. Good lord. That's I know. I think it's cheaper. And maybe we got to Louisiana. I know it's cheaper there. God yeah, they, they got a lot of them down there. They got a lot of tags there too. I mean, it's also if I can, I can get the tag. It's a, still a lottery for me. I have a better chance of getting the tags than someone from out of state. Sure. But it's still. I may only get two tags this year. I may get 10 tags again, but I bought a lot of extras. And also the good areas, you know, someone who wants to kill, that's why I know if I get Lake Okeechobee tags, there's a good chance of me killing a 12-footer. And, yeah. and, and the larger the gator, the more people will pay. Oh, for sure. So if you want to kill a big alligator, you're going to pay more. to. You know, it goes by the size. And, and I base my pricing off of – I haven't really advertised it much. I have it written down, but I I just took an average of everybody else on the internet. Sure. And uh, is I've been doing the gator hunting for about when four that, or five years. When does now. that take place? That's uh, the first second weekend in August until the last weekend in October, depending on the area or wh- okay. where the tags are. So. Are you doing turkey hunting this spring? Uh, I'm gonna try to do some turkey hunting. But it doesn't look like I'm going to have time. It's well, come to Minnesota, catch a yeah. muskie, shoot a big white tail, and you need to go ice fishing before you die. You just have I'm to. not You're going ice fishing. Come on, man. <laughs> I'll, come, I'll come kill a big white tail. Just wear a jacket. You don't think it's cold? Deer I, hunting? It's worth I it. Gotta, if I shoot a big white tail, then it's worth it. But oh, we got big ones up there. He's not going to be impressed by your uh, pound and a quarter bluegill. You'll be excited. He will not be excited. <laughs> well, 43-inch muskie. Or northern, northern. Pike through the ice is pretty goddamn fun. I can say our big Lakers and Lake Superior. That's also, I mean, I haven't done that yet myself personally. It's always something I say every year and then every year I don't do it, but one of these years, but anyways, we I, enjoyed today. I just want to thank you for taking us out. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Kevin. And we'll, uh, we'll sign this one off. Yeah. Later. Everybody, huge thanks to everybody who has taken the time to uh, download and subscribe to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast, to rate us, to review us. Um, you're doing great things, and we are growing every day, and I really appreciate it. Another way we're growing is we have joined the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. So what that means is people can now find us and listen to us on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, on Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs, uh, hell, even gaming systems. So um, if you haven't downloaded the Waypoint app, do it now. You're going to thank me. It has over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films out there. This is one of the best apps you're going to find. So I just would like to say thank you again for those that have already subscribed. Let's share it. Let's keep this thing going. And, uh, I am proud to say that the Full Scale Outdoors podcast is now part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. So thank you very much. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.